Good day, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of the Nasty Pasty podcast. Yes, we've got Callum Waddle on the show with us again for another round of chatter, this time about an exclusive premiere of his latest documentary, Images of Apartheid, which is covering the phenomenon of South African exploitation films that arose from the oppression and the racial prejudice of African apartheid. Now, commonly known as Zaxploitation, these films range from the rather perfunctory and functional, such as a film entirely set on a football pitch during a match, to Shaft-style exploitation thrillers, and even all-black spaghetti westerns. Apartheid, of course, was imposed post-World War II by the winning National Party in South Africa, who immediately began to racially segregate white South Africans from black South Africans, The word itself was the Afrikaan word for separateness, and they encouraged it in the forms of petty apartheid, which separated different public services and rights for different races, whilst grand apartheid dictated where different races could live, and the employment opportunities that they were offered. So Callum's documentary, it explores that crucible of the apartheid regime, and it chronicles the shining examples of B-movies and exploitation flicks that emerged from this era, most of which have unfortunately not yet made it to the modern era, but they are starting to get noticed by modern-day cult fans ever so slowly. So without further ado, here's Callum, everybody. Enjoy. Well, thanks for talking to me again, Callum. Uh, do hope you're okay. Uh, so big day on uh, Saturday Mm -hmm. so you're premiering your uh, your documentary Images of Apartheid Uh, it's actually on Friday Friday oh is it Friday oh yeah oh whoops excuse me it's at um, where's it premiere again is it the uh, it's Derby isn't it if I remember right yeah the the Derby Film Festival um, the uh, the weekend of Paris Cinema Ah, right. Um, so it's a 5.45pm screening on, on Friday, and this is the first time that um, anybody has seen the, the documentary in public. So mm. I guess uh, it, will be, it will be interesting to get some reaction, although um, my, my luck for the past uh, half year has not been the greatest. So I'm thinking that maybe about four people will turn up to this. Uh, <laughs> Which I'm actually I'm actually anticipating that it will be a, it will be a very small turnout because we've been posting about it on the 88 Facebook page mm. and uh, there there doesn't seem to have been a lot of reply to anything so mm. uh, I mean yeah we're we're I'm kind of expecting it to be to be a you know couple of people or whatever but you know it'll be nice to to just get any kind of feedback on the the documentary <laughs> mm, definitely well I mean I watched it uh, I watched it the other day and I really 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 interesting stuff i mean i i guess we'd all heard about apartheid in some degree i mean i learned what the little that i knew from from school and i don't think really until you're confronted with people who experienced it firsthand that you you just realize just how how bad it really was i mean you hear snappings of it nowadays about about apartheid being a bad thing and because of course it was but you don't really feel that impact until you um until you really hear about it from the people who were who were there, but one of the the biggest things is now I, after having watched it, the first thing I want to do is I want to go out and watch one of these movies that have, that have been mentioned. I mean, especially that um, because eighty eight films have released Joe Bullet and yeah, nobody nobody bought Joe Bullet. I think I think it's still sitting um, under two hundred sales or something. Oh really? <coughs> oh. 
which is a tragedy because I mean I mean you know it's it's, it's been it's been lost for so long mm. and uh, it's uh, it's it's incredible because um, you know it's uh, it's finally out and it's a mm. a South African exploitation film yeah. and yet you know nobody was was interested in buying it which really kind of boggles my mind it's like you know this is such a you know a, a great chance to see something made during a you know a, um a, a time which you know is difficult to imagine mm. um and and yet there was such little interest in it which which, which is really frustrating because <clears throat> you know you sort you sort of hope that fans will be uh, will be somewhat open minded uh, into buying into something that's a little bit different, mm. you know. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean I mean yeah, Joe Bullet is uh, is is great. It's uh, it's a very good um, um, it's it's a very good you know example of uh, of you know a, a black exploitation film just made in a, a different part of the the world, you know. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean it's. It's one of those things. I mean, this is just from a personal uh, perspective, I guess. Um, I think well, I, I think I did see Joe Bullet in the um, in the shops, and I remember picking it up and thinking, "Oh, you know, what, what's this latest uh, from from '88 films?" And I think it's just I had, I didn't quite realise that there was actually sort of a, an exploitation subgenre, should we say, that came out of came out of Africa. So it was one of those things that I just thought. Mm, not, mm, not. I was a bit sort of hesitant to kind of buy into something quite new, and I, that's very odd for me because I normally do. But I think it was one of those things where I just wasn't sure if the quality was quite there. I guess like it wasn't, say, something that um, uh, that I sort of like. Is it me? I'm, I'm a big ex- Italian f- uh, exploitation fan, should we say? So I know what to expect from Italian films, and I think that it's that whole kind of not knowing what kind of you're going to get i mean that that's what kind of initially made me not really pick it up at first so but after having watched uh, the documentary and just seeing the kind of really crazy and really varied styles of filmmaking that came out of um the apartheid regime it's it's one of those things now i absolutely have to get that film now like i'm i'm literally going to go and buy it like the first chance i get just because yeah i mean it's, it's, a, it's a really really cool film it's mm. it's such a you know, it's, I mean, I, I hadn't heard of it. I mean, this all started because, you know, I went to a conference. I, I went to a conference and, uh, uh, you know, I, I showed my, my documentary, 42nd Street Memories, at the, uh, the um, horror film festival that takes place every Halloween in uh, Cape Town. Yeah. And uh, my university at the time sent me out there for a, for a conference talk, and it was great. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to get paid to, to go to, to Cape Town? And I'd never mm. been to any part of Africa before, Um you know, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, I thought I, I mean, I always wanted to go to South Africa. It was always very high. It was extremely high in my bucket list. Um, so it was great being out there. But I mean, what was um, amazing to me was when I when I when I heard about this film, Joe Bullet, which I think at the time had been just played at Durban at the Durban Film Festival mm. um, in South Africa. So it was sort of starting to get a little bit of notice. And then, you know, I, I learned about this guy called Benjamin Cowley who runs this company called Gravel Road Productions, and he's been unearthing all these examples of uh, South African, um, I guess you could call exploitation cinema, like, um, or, or at least B-movies, you know, spaghetti westerns, slapstick comedies, and also, yeah. you know, Joe, Joe Bullet. And uh, a lot of these films were just considered to be lost, and he's still doing um, amazing work restoring them and, you know, mm. looking after them. Um, but, you know, South, South Africa... I, you know, I, I learned um, had a 
a really um, even during the apartheid era, it was it was a very popular um, place for for cinema, mm. you know, um, and uh, you know there were there were cinemas, um, including drive-in cinemas, uh, in the uh, you know the major cities. Um, so you know, but obviously because the, the majority of the population was black and you know kept in. Uh, you know, extreme poverty in the townships. Yeah, they would yeah. they would bring in mobile units and um, or or convert kind of town halls mm-hmm. in uh, in some of the uh, you know the the townships into um, into cinemas during the the nineteen seventies. Yeah. And really, part of the 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 black filmmaking that came out. Or, I mean, it wasn't really made by by black directors, but you know, the films that featured black casts like mm-hmm. Joe Bullitt. Um, but certainly, um, you know, the films that were that were actually funded by the apartheid government, which the documentary goes into, and Joe Bullitt wasn't funded by the apartheid um, government. But some of the films that, that came later that were actually funded from um, government uh, money, mm. they were uh, they were really shown in the the townships with the idea that one, you know, there was a there was a steady stream of of, of income, mm. you know, from workers in the townships who who did work in the big cities, like you know your your Port Elizabeth or Durban or, or Cape Town or Johannesburg. Mm. And, you know, because there was a 9 p.m. curfew in the 1970s, you know, the, the black workers would then go back to the townships mm. and, uh, and, and, you know, they would, they would, they would have, you know, some degree of, of, uh, of, of money to spend. And, and, you know, these films were a way to sort of, you know, also represent to the outside world, hey, look, you know, apartheid's not as bad as you think because we have black actors, we have black movies. <laughs> so it was also it was also a form of sort of propaganda. There's a really good mm. book called Selling Apartheid, which talks about how much the apartheid government really was invested in, in making apartheid seem like a positive thing. And, they, they, you know, they even managed to convince some African-Americans in the United States to, to, to you know, sort of work on their behalf to sell a friendly image of apartheid. Yeah, you know, that's... It's racial segregation, but you know, hey, the the blacks in the townships don't have it as bad as the blacks who are living in, for instance, Uganda have it under Idi Amin, or, or, or you know, Nigeria under the military junta or whatever. So sort of, it was, you know, it was, it was kind of like trying to make out that things weren't, you know, as bad, <laughs> weren't weren't bad because you know there was much worse shit going on elsewhere in African countries. But you know. You know that doesn't cancel cancel out the bad shit that was going on no. in in no. South Africa under apartheid. You know, no, so it's it's not. sort of it's sort of like one of these really interesting times in history and one of these really interesting periods. Mm. And I, you know, I think I think it will be really. Um, I I just really hope that people just open their mind to the fucking documentary and watch it. You know, <laughs> because it's it's been a it's been a tough sell. I mean, actually, I'm gonna you know we submitted it to the Glasgow Film Festival and they didn't play it. You know, they didn't even accept it. And what really pisses me off is, you know, without naming it, like, like, you know, two or three years ago, they played this documentary, which is basically just poverty porn about, you know, you know, I'm a junkie, I'm a heroin addict, just the sort of shit that, that you know, people in, in, you know, a sort of posh art house cinema could sit and drink Prosecco to. And that's kind of what I think, you know, Scotland's about, you know, it's, mm. it seems that, you know, Scottish documentaries are overwhelmingly about junkies or you know, alcoholics or, or whatever, you know? I mean, you just kind of go, what the fuck? Like, can't we make something else? And, you know, can't we get supported? Like, I mean, Creative Scotland have never supported anything that I've, you know, that I've done or wanted to do, you know? It's, it's mm. like, but I, you know, I get the feeling if I went to them and said, hey, I got this this documentary idea about, you know, you know, junkies in Dundee who are, <laughs> you know, also fucking 
done prison time for stabbing their dads, you know, and it's, it's going to be really miserable and, you know, we're going to be high on camera and, and it's going to show, like, like you know, how bad it is to be fucking impoverished in Dundee. You know, I, I just get the impression to be like, oh, that sounds interesting. It's like, you know, fuck yourselves. Like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not the sort of shit that people should should be fucking making, you know? I mean, I mean, I just have such a huge problem with poverty porn. And, and you know, that's what I see a lot of coming from, from Scotland, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it didn't surprise me that, that, you know, a former colleague, okay, whose name eventually I'm going to... I'm not going to mention his name at the moment. Um, but, but you know, this, this, this colleague was like, you know... Somebody who who once edited a, a documentary, you know, it was it was so claim to fame that he edited a documentary, and this documentary like ended up with a, with a with a, you know, an award nomination, and you can get online. So I went and watched it, and it's just just about fucking junkies in Scotland, and it's like it's like how did I know that's what it was going to be about, you know, because this guy was Scottish, yeah. And he's like, oh, you know, I, I worked on a documentary. Oh, cool. What was your documentary? Oh, you know, we got an award nomination. It was really cool, you know. And uh, I, I was one of the, like, two or three editors on this project. And it was like, and I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, interesting. So I went I went online and found us. Oh, there's another fucking documentary about junkies. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> can, can Scottish people make something that's not about junkies, you know? So, I, I mean, I sort, I sort of feel that, you know, as a Scottish documentary maker who's, you know, really interested you know, professionally and also academically and sort of things that are a little bit out of the box or other cultures and stuff. And, you know, I mean, like I say, when I learned about Joe Bullitt in 2015 and this in this whole kind of era of B-movies and exploitation films coming out of South Africa, I was like, this is going to be my next project. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, I got funded. Um, I got money for it to, to, to go out and film this in 2016 in South Africa. I spent a month in South Africa doing, doing all this filming with just naming it. It was a crew of two people. Yeah. And, you know, to then come back to Scotland and just find, you know, oh, there's not really support for it. You just kind of go, oh, mm. yeah, maybe I should have just done a junkie documentary, you know, <laughs> another of the endless amounts of documentaries on junkies that come out of Scotland, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's just sort of frustrating because I sort, I sort of wish, you know, there was there was more kind of like, this is such a cool idea. This is so interesting. You know, it's something that people don't really know about. Mm. Um but yeah, that's sorry. That's my rant over for the evening. <laughs> no, it's it's okay. I I I do understand really. I mean, in terms of, it is something that is really not well known. I mean, especially for me. I mean, I thought I knew pretty much almost every sort of subgenre you could say of of that sort of era. And yeah, you, you know, you had and you had very similar things. You had you know, Canuck exploitation stuff from. Uh, Canada that was using uh, government incentives in order to yeah and you know I mean I mean a really great academic and and somebody who I really admire and respect is Xavier Mendick and he did such a good documentary in this recently called Tax Shelter Terrors I need to email him actually because um, 88 Films just bought a Canadian horror film mm. um, which is which is unannounced oh, uh, well, and uh, and we'll be, we'll be We'll be making an announcement um, about it in the coming months, but it's it's a much demanded uh, Canadian horror film, so I really want to see if I can get Tax Shelter Terrors to go on it actually. Mm. Um, and Xavier's documentary is brilliant. I mean, I mean, and you know, he's he's such a, a nice guy, mm-hmm. and such an inspiration for me as a, you know, as an academic. Um, but yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, and the thing is, there's so much exploitation film that's yet to be chronicled, mm. you know. And I have so many projects I really, really, really want to do, but. You know, it's, it's sort of heartbreaking when, like, like I say, just when the Glasgow Film Festival just, you know, and we're not, you know, we're not interested in showing images of apartheid. It's just kind of like, 
Ah, mm. oh, yeah, you know, it's I should have had junkies in there somewhere. <laughs> so you sort, you sort of just, you sort of, you know, you really want that support for your 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 work, you know. I think that um, I think that, but you know, there, there's so much more stuff that I want to do. Like like I really want to do a project on um, uh, um. Ah, it's just it's just lost my 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 brain is is turning to to moss just when I said that it was on the tip of my tongue. Um, I know you mentioned you wanted to do something with Laura Gemser. I do want to do something with Laura Gemser, but no, no, no. I, t- I tell you what, what I want to do. I want to do a project on Taiwan's kung fu films during the 1970s. All right. Um, because the 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 popularity of kung fu films from Hong Kong almost actually sunk Taiwanese cinema. All the cinemas in Taiwan were booking. Uh, uh, Hong Kong kung fu films. So Taiwan started to make their own ones, and the Taiwanese ones are in some ways like like even cooler than the Hong Kong ones. Mm. So you know, like like with Hong Kong, you had um, the Flying Guillotine, which JT Films just put out on um, on Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, and in Taiwan, you got you got Master of the Flying Guillotine, and it's like it's like it's such a kick-ass movie. It's brilliant, you know. <laughs> so there's there's a whole treasure chest there of movies which which really need to be unearthed and explored and. Whenever I've been in Taipei, um, I always want to buy the the discs, but they're they're not English subtitles. So there's, I think there's this feeling in in you know Taiwan that actually you know, there you know we don't even need to give them English subtitles. I mean, who's watching these old you know Taiwanese kung fu movies? But mm-hmm. I, I think I think some of them are really really interesting. There's a great um, Bruce exploitation one called uh, Exit the Dragon Enter the Tiger, which I love. It's one of my favorite kung fu movies ever. Um, so I really want to do something on on that. I also really, really, really want to do a documentary on Darna. Uh, do you know who Darna is? I don't, I'm afraid. Uh, go on. Okay, the, the the Philippines has a, a very long, interesting history of uh, in comic books. And Filipino comic books are great. Um, and, uh, you know, um, Darna is the Filipino Wonder Woman. And I really want to do a documentary. I mean, and they've had a TV series about her, but she's like the most popular um, comic book character for, for decades. And I really want to do a... A documentary on the Filipino Wonder Woman. Um, you know, before um, Pol Pot arrived in Cambodia, there was a flourishing, um, flourishing uh, Keimer cinema. Mm. Uh, um, you know, uh, Keimer language cinema in Cambodia, and and it, you know, they've only just started to unearth um, what's left of these films. Mm. You know, which were made before the uh, the, the the Holocaust uh, yeah. in Cambodia in the 1970s. So. You know, there's there's so much stuff that I want to do, and like you know, I I'm only going to live for so much longer. So you know, I really want to get a move on and do as much of this as possible, mm. um, in documentary form and in book form. And you know, my South Africa project is being turned into a book. Um, this documentary is just the tip of it. Oh, you know, wow. the the there's going to be an academic book on it, um, which I'm which I'm writing. So once I get done with that, I want to do you know, I want to do my Hong Kong uh, category three book because that's also a documentary, which is going to be finished in about a month we've, we've almost finished the, the edit now so I was I, you say, know i wanted I was, I was expecting i was expecting a hong kong sort of uh, documentary from you very soon <laughs> yes bit... the cat the category three documentary uh is is almost finished it's going to be on the german blu-ray of the untold story mm. the uh that, the the famous uh, anthony wong herman yao uh danny lee movie so that's yeah. almost finished um so you know i mean i i you know, I remain really, really prolific in getting stuff done, mm. but that's, you know, I just want to get stuff done. That's the thing. And and it's it's sort of, uh, I, I think it annoys it sometimes that, that you know, I, I try and move so fast in getting stuff done. Mm. Um, you know, so, so uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, so if, if, like they said to me like about three weeks ago, mm. um, can you get us a title like, um, 
this and and like within two days i had a title like that and they were like but we didn't mean like within two days <laughs> you know now 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 we got to you know now we got to sign in and pay for it you know we we, we thought and i said i said to them you know I, I i work fast that's that's what i do so when when the south africa thing came up it was sort of like in 2015 mm. and you know less than a year later i was out there filming this documentary and doing research for my book because you know i want you know i really wanted to get it done and it was the same with the the hong kong category three documentary i always yeah wanted to do a documentary on Category 3, and I always wanted to do a book on Category 3 films from Hong Kong. Um, it was just waiting for the, you know, just, just waiting for the opportunity. And oddly enough, I got contacted by uh, the German company that was putting out the untold story, and they said, hey, we like your work, and, you know, do you want to work on the untold story for us? And I said, actually, I've kind of been waiting for an excuse to do my Category 3 documentary, so sure. Um <laughs> So that was, you know, that's how that got done. But there's so much more stuff that I want to get done. And, and you know, my projects and stuff that I want to do is really looking at that marginal cinema, looking at cinema from, from you know, different parts of the world that might be, you know, called B-movies or exploitation. Yeah. Or even in the case of Dharna, just, just a really interesting, you know, representation of, of, of Southeast uh, Asia, you know. So mm. I I think that's what I want to keep doing. And, you know, I would it would I would really hate it if, like, I... You know, I thought that the only way to make a documentary that's ever going to get released is, is junkies, you know. So <laughs> I, yeah. I'm just glad that, that, that we are going to get a screening of Apartheid and that it's coming out in DVD from 88 Films. That's it, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd, I'd hope, really. I mean, that this is just because of the way I felt after viewing it. I, I was really just enthused about that whole kind of thing. I mean, I, I've heard it, it's on the internet. It's called something like exploitation or something colloquial like that you know because it, it's very similar to exploitation and um oh, what was the other one Ozploitation. those sort of exploitation i mean i mean that's the thing you know not quite hollywood i think is brilliant i think yeah, yeah. what mark hartley did with that and also when when he touched on on filipino films with uh, machete and baines unleashed i mean his his work's brilliant mm, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's great stuff you know so i think yeah i think you know but there, there's not a lot of us out there kind of doing that you no, know kind of kind of out there doing that you know um and I, I do, I do find it in the um, in the academic world, you know, there's there's you know there's there's documentary making going on, but it's 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 often very hard to sort of you know then get distribution, you know. Um, so like like I said, you know, distribution is a big part of this, and the lucky thing that that you know I had was was you know obviously eighty eight films saying that they would put apartheid out on dvd i mean you know we're not we're not expecting big sales for it or anything it's mm. going to be a tough sell but you know hopefully people like because a lot of people make these short documentaries or feature film documentaries and, and they end up just sticking it on youtube at the end of the day you know because they can't yeah. they can't get distribution so yeah. getting distribution for it will be great and i'm glad that we've got this screening coming up and mm. you know this part of cinema event looks you know it looks pretty good and i was i was just glad to be considered for it you know yeah because my confidence was knocked for six when you know when glasgow didn't want to show it. i was kind of like ah oh, mm. fuck yeah, i've made yeah. something nobody wants to see even in my home country you know i'm, I'm sure a scottish filmmaker not making stuff about <laughs> junkies so you I'm, know. Sh- I'm sure that's not tr- i'm sure that's not true when, when people view it i mean i literally had um I mean, I had my computer open, but I had a notepad open as well, and I was jotting down the names of all these these films and snippets that I was seeing, and I'm just thinking, right, I need to track that one down, I need to get that down. I mean, like I said, Joe Bullet is the only one I'm aware of that actually, you know, sort of has a modern release. Are, are, are 88 planning to release any sort of more of this this generation? Of films? Uh, probably not. I mean, I mean, you, I mean, ultimately, 
you know, 88, as with any um, label, you know, be it, um, you know, Arrow or Shameless or, or um, uh, even, even, you know, the, the, the BFI. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's about kind of, you know, I suppose keeping Blu-rays and DVDs going in a, you know, in, a, in an ever-shrinking market. Um, so you really have to go with with what people you know want to buy. Mm. Um, and you know that Joe Bullet, you know, wasn't like I said, just wasn't a big seller. You know, I mean, it would it would be the same if you know the the Asia collection if just suddenly people stopped buying it. It'd be like, mm. well, we can't release Hong Kong movies anymore, you know, because there's not a market there. Yeah, and that's really what I mean. It's quite interesting because. <coughs> Even on a bigger level, you've seen it recently with Ash versus the Evil Dead, mm. and you've had people on Twitter kind of saying, "Well, this is what happens when you pirate stuff." You know, basically, you you lose the show, mm. and you know it's the same to you know it's the same it's the same with the Blu-ray market. It's like, look, you know, if you don't buy these movies, then there's not going to be more movies coming out. And mm. um, I really appreciate the people that that pre-order from the 88 Films. Um, website mm. because and, and i know it's more expensive than obviously you know waiting for it to come down in price and fop or going to amazon or whatever mm. but you know that that's profit to 88 films it's the same as if you buy stuff from the the arrow website you know that's profit to arrow and that's what keeps the labels going yeah, and that's yeah. what means you get more releases you know so um that's that's really what's important um oh. but yeah I don't, I don't think there'll be more south african films because unfortunately um you know, nobody bought uh, Joe Bullet, which is, you know, and that's 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 obviously because it. I mean, I'm like I say, I mean, who knows what the documentary will do? Mm. But you know, maybe maybe people see the documentary and like it and and go back and buy Joe Bullet. You know, I mean, there's yeah, always yeah, that possibility. But I mean, for me, I it was, for me, it was the it was the whole kind of rainbow of sort of varying genres that were in this uh, in the apartheid films, like. You know, Joe Bullet. It's, it's it's like you said. It's a black exploitation film in the style of uh, James Bond. I think the um, they, they were going for. And then there's the comedians, uh, spaghetti western. Uh, very oddly, spaghetti westerns set in Africa. I mean, just that on its. Umbango, yes. yes. It's, it's, it's such a cool movie as well. Uh, I mean, I would love to release that. I th- I think that's such an interesting, you know, idea. You know, spaghetti, a black exploitation spaghetti western set in South Africa I... during apartheid, and, and they made it during apartheid. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean. I mean, there's even films that were made by, um, you know, made outside of that uh, that that B scheme, and in English, which mm. are really good. Like Severin, uh, not Severin, um, Synapse. Mm. Synapse released on DVD in America, a really really great film. It's actually my favourite movie of the apartheid era, oh, uh, right. called Death of a Snowman. And Death of a Snowman is really, really good, yeah. Mm. Um, and that's that's one that uh, features white actors and black actors, but it's sort of like a gangster movie as well. Mm. Um, and it's really, really, really good. Um, I mean, there's a few. That, there was even uh, Shang. I think it's Shangani uh, Patrol. I might need to put it into Google. That was made in in what is now Zimbabwe, but was mm. Rhodesia at the time. Oh, um, nice. And the filmmaker behind that, he worked he worked there because I mean people forget that you know although apartheid is the most notorious and certainly the the most oppressive of um, <clears throat> the legacy of colonialism in Africa, um, people forget that South Africa was was not alone in having racial segregation um, during the 1970s. You know, um, I mean if you look at the map of Southern Africa uh, during that time, you've also got um, Angola and Mozambique, which were under um, Portuguese rule until 1975. Mm. And 
like the Portuguese have made this, this desperate attempt to sort of integrate blacks and whites together in their Portuguese colonies, making you know with 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 the idea that it would it would uh, convince the uh, the the native people to accept Portuguese rule for the foreseeable future. Mm. And all I mean, all it did was result in an inevitable, really messy, horrible guerrilla war, um, <laughs> which you know which which uh, took a huge amount of lives. And mm. you know even after uh, the fall of of um, the Portuguese Empire, um, you know, and, and the decolonization of Mozambique and Angola. There, there was, you know, a, you know, horrific uh, civil war that went on um, for decades afterwards in both countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but you know, I mean, the other, you know, infamous example is obviously Rhodesia, uh, which declared, you know, unilateral declaration from um, Britain in 1965, mm. um, because you know at the time Britain was was um, Parting from its African colonies, um, and uh, and you know Rhodesia did not want to to fall under um, black rule and refused to give black people the votes. So, mm. you know, you had a white minority there which ruled until 1980, um, and uh, you know, I mean, that's often been you know I I, I find forgotten amazingly, um, and you know, I find it when you know you speak to people now. The you know they're they're surprised that actually you know, um, you know that that that, that existed right up until 1980. You know, um, mm. so I think I think that um I think that you know that that history of Southern Africa really needs to be um, taught and explored a lot more. Um, even even in high schools, you know, because because people are taught so very little about the um the British Empire. Mm. Um, oh, def- <clears throat> definitely. I mean. Britain, Britain has a, had a lot to answer for and still does, and yeah, it's grossly, grossly under undertaught. It's, I mean, even today, I mean, you, you could talk about the British Empire just on a on a slight, on a very small level to someone who's quite young, and they, they, they never quite understand what exactly it is that you're talking about. And exactly, and I mean, I mean, the thing is that the apartheid, the hist, you know, what what became apartheid, um, you know, was 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 something that was very much in the hands of the uh, the British as well as the Afrikaners. Um, and while, you know, Britain did, uh, you know, want apartheid to end, um, there's, 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 you know, no question about that. And whilst the British did um, sanction uh, Rhodesia, um, the fact of the matter is that, that, you know, Britain created these, these, you know, countries in in southern Africa and elsewhere in the continent, and and the end result was was frequently messy because, you know, you had uh, tribes uh, which had quite historic rivalries suddenly living together mm. under under these brand new countries which had been created. You know, mm. um, so I mean, I mean, I, I can still see them, and, and the mess of that's never ever 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 going to go away. For I, I I mean, I don't know, I don't know if it'll ever go away. No, you know, I mean, no. you, only, you, only, you only need to look at Nigeria to see the legacy of uh, of, of colonialism and and cutting up big chunks of Africa into new countries. You know, um, no, of course. Well, to be honest, most most places in Africa and, and the Middle East themselves, there's lots of remnants of our sort of rampant colonialism, and unfortunately, it's it's almost like we didn't clean up the mess before we left, and now refuse to have any further part in it, which. Are, Think is you know, yeah, I mean, my favorite author on um, on uh, 
Zimbabwe is is a man called Peter Godwin who's written four books about Zimbabwe and mm. I, I really cannot recommend his his stuff uh, enough, especially because you know um, Rhodesia and what's now Zimbabwe has been so closely tied to South Africa that the politics have been um, between the two countries have been quite quite interesting. Mm. Um, but you know um, I think I think it's uh, his I think it's his second book. Mm. Um, when the, uh, what, uh, hold on, let me just check the name of it because I don't I don't want to get the name wrong. But yeah, go um, on, go on. I think it's when the crocodile. It's, it's, it's a Shauna saying uh, when the crocodile eats the sun. It's a, a Shauna saying. Um, he explains it in his book. But when a crocodile um, eats the sun, um, and it's it's about his uh, his parents um, um, dur- uh, and, and their life in Zimbabwe during the the when things start to get really really brutal under Robert Mugabe. Mm. Um, and it's a brilliant book. And uh, and he says that there's there's uh, a famous saying in Africa, and he says, the worst thing that ever happened to Africa was when the white man arrived. The second worst thing to happen in Africa was when the white man left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- I, it's, it's exactly that. It's like it's like you know coming and creating a mess and then and not then leaving. Yeah. And then leaving your mess, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, so I think I think it's I think it's uh, you know he says that in the introduction to the book and it's like I say Peter Godwin's stuff's just absolutely fantastic. But yeah, getting back to South Africa, I mean, what was really um, interesting about this project was obviously going back and and just reading so many books about the apartheid era. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it was it was really interesting to wrap myself up in that and, and sort of as a result of that, I sort of you know started to read about the neighbouring countries. So I became um, really addicted. Uh, to reading about you know the um, the Portuguese in Mozambique and Angola and also um, mm. you know reading lots and lots about Zimbabwe, um, I, I basically spent you know just under a year just just kind of gorging myself on South Africa, um, Zimbabwe and, and little bits and pieces on on other con- um, parts of the other neighbouring countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's all really interesting and like I say, I mean, I mean, I, I felt it was the most important documentary that that I've certainly ever done and. You know, I think I think it's I think it'll be the most important book that I ever write. Um, you know, because it's such I just think it's a part of history that shouldn't be forgotten about, and that includes you know looking at the pop culture. You know, so I think looking at the films is just a you know it's, it's a very different perspective on apartheid, and I think the documentary shows that you know even during these these really dark days there was you know as the documentary goes into you the, 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 there were cinemas where people could go and escape and see black actors and representations of themselves even if we understand that yes often these films were made by the apartheid government and therefore you know it's it's a case of how we approach them and how we look at them you know um i think another another aspect for me that was it was really nice to see was um was some of the well the teams that worked on these films like they had yeah they had that sense of camaraderie and, and family and you know that they had real tenderness towards each other even though they were different races and what they were doing was kind of against the law i mean that also stood out for me that whole sense of community that even in that those really terrible terrible times i mean you really can't imagine sort of making a film with someone and then literally not being allowed to invite them around to your house for a cup of tea yeah, yeah, I mean it's, it's it's crazy, but I mean not everybody who was, not everybody who was, um, you know, ob- obviously living in South Africa was was pro apartheid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I've travelled enough now to feel that you can't judge people by their their government. 
you know. Um, even I mean, even having lived in, you know, a totalitarian country like China where, you know, there are huge, you know, in, in my experience anyway, I mean, I don't want to speak for, for obviously in a, a country that size, but there's there's a lot of people that you meet in in China um, and, and criticism of the government to them has been so um, ingrained as actually criticism of China as a country, you know, that the two can't be separated. And, you know, you, you have to be absolutely incredibly careful because, you know, loyalty and patriotism is taught throughout school and high school in China. And, yeah. You know, to, to love your country is to love your government. And of course, that's how a totalitarian state works, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they, they want you to think that way because then you're not going to oppose them. And, you know, apartheid was... was pretty much the same you know you got you got your your lessons in high school and stuff and you were taught about the boer war mm. and you know the, the horrors of the the british internment camps and so on and so forth and and you know that the afrikaners had fought for this land and harvested this land and everything um so so you know i mean that that's how you 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 know you you keep um policies which are let's say you know re- repressive but yeah you know yeah. In South Africa, you still, of course, you still had people thinking outside the box, just as you did in Rhodesia, just as you do in China. You have people who are, you know, very well aware. Look, you know, I obviously I can't go out in the street and protest this, but mm. I've, I've, you know, I, of course, I, I want change. Of course, I want things to be different. So I really, I mean, we go into this with South Africa, you know, um, towards the end when we talk about, you know, the the, the cultural boycott and mm. you know whether or not actors were right to go and work there or wrong to go and work there you know and that's that obviously um that you know that that's a big part of the documentary and obviously you know that's that's not a part that that i would be doing in my book you know so i I sort of wanted to 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 open up at the end and show that films were being made out there by major you know by by quite big name hollywood directors in some Mm. cases and also you know that a lot of actors did break the cultural boycott and and go over there you Mm. know um to be honest, and, I, and... I didn't even I didn't even know about that cultural boycott. It was um, it was a revelation to me to see that in the in the documentary. I mean, and especially I didn't realise just how many sort of productions from outside of Africa kind of exploited that really in a sense, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this was like I say, this is one of the ways that the apartheid government tried to normalise itself by saying we're open for business and we want international collaboration and you can come and film here and you can get you know wonder i mean south africa is beautiful it's a stunning country um and you know look at all this scenery and you can make this scenery anywhere because of course you've got sand hence you could get spaghetti westerns you know um you know you've got you've got you know mountainous um you've got you've got beautiful mountains you've got Goodness, I mean, you've got everything. You've got sea. You've got. I mean, you see this with American Ninja too, right? Where it's yeah, supposed yeah, to be the course. it's supposed to be the Caribbean. Mm. And if you go down to Camps Bay, I mean, it could be the Caribbean because it's it's full of you know rocks and beautiful sand and and crystal blue sea. You know, I mean, it mm. could be anywhere. And and you know, like I say, you've got you've got the sand dunes which are located in uh, in what's what used to be South um, Southwest Africa, which mm. is now Namibia. Um, you know the legendary sand dunes uh, there. You know, so you can you can you can make it look like the Middle East, for instance. Um, yeah, yeah. And like like I say, I mean, you, and you of course, you know, you've got Table Mountain, which is one of the great wonders of natural wonders of the world. You know, um, you've got waterfalls. You can do anything. So I mean, of of course, it was 
it was easy for and, and and you've got the bush you know you've got you yes. so so i mean hence they were able to go out and film the wild geese there for instance you know um and they also filmed parts of that in zimbabwe mm. um so i mean i mean it makes it makes it, of course it's, it's it's a perfect place to film it's why it's why um they still film there i mean the resident the last resident evil film was filmed out in cape town oh was it it was filming out there when I when I was there in 2015, um, right. and uh, you know parts of the uh, the last X Men film um, or, or one of the Avengers films was filmed out there. I mean, I mean parts of it. I mean, I mean, like I say, you could. There's still major Hollywood productions going out there and filming because yeah, yeah. you've you've got everything in South Africa, and it's a stunning, beautiful, you know, gorgeous country. Um, so so you know that was that was why people, of course, were going out in the 1980s, but and and it was cheap. You know, you've got to remember that the. Uh, you know, the, they, they were offering very sizable tax breaks as well as, you know, an, an English-speaking crew and, uh, you know, um, great facilities as well because yeah, yeah. because there was a, you know, a cultural filmmaking there. So you also had professional filmmakers who were willing to, to do their movies out there. So, yeah, I mean, but the cultural boycott was, was something that a lot of people were paying attention to and saying we're not going to go, you know? Mm, yeah, I think um, you mentioned in the documentary, don't you, that... Um there were some people that ignored this. Uh, there was a Queen, for example, or Tina Turner. Queen Queen famously ignored it. Well, one of the ways that the South Af- one of the things the South African government did to try and uh, appear normal, and uh, we sort of we sort of touch on that in the documentary as well, is that they they started to grant independence to certain homelands. So you know they would they would they would say, well, this is this is a tribal land. Okay, it's now mm. called Transkei. And this Transky is an independent country. We have nothing to do with it. And he did the same with Sun City. So Sun City was like, this is actually self-governed, separate from South Africa. Mm. Um, but it was it was bullshit. I mean, of course it wasn't. What they were actually doing in a lot of cases was making things worse because what they would do is give these independent homelands their quote-unquote independence. But what they were actually doing was stripping the black people there of any claims to South African citizenship yeah so effectively they were stripping them of the freedom to travel they were stripping them of any benefits whatsoever police Mm. clean water um you know social services you name it Mm. so that was their way of sort of saying you know hey you're now a self-governing homeland but in reality you know all of the money all of the arable land is in south africa so basically, we're wiping our hands of you, and you're now going to come into South Africa, which actually is, you know, the only place you can gain work and money yeah, yeah. Um, as, as slave labor. So, I mean, I mean, you know, by going into Sun City, for instance, which was, you know, what Queen did, you know, they were they were saying, oh, well, we're not actually going into South Africa. We're going into, you know, this this self-governing, you know, uh, supposed city state. But of course they weren't. They were they were they were going into apartheid era South Africa, and ultimately they were going into some place that was that was still running on slave labor, you know, an exploitation of, of uh, of you know the local population. So I think that um, I think I think that, that obviously Queen were were you know torn through the coals for it. Um, but it was it was it was obviously shocking when you think back and remember that even you know black artists like Tina Turner were willing to take the money and go there, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But again, I mean, as as somebody says, you know, I, I, does shutting a country off from the outside world does that does that work? I mean, there's obviously you. I, I think the closest you've got now is um, is obviously Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and you know the the question of whether because I mean I mean this all this all happened recently with Nick Cave and Radiohead you know should they should they be playing Tel Aviv because you know there's there's a case of of you know a boycott based on the fact that you know Israel continues to expand its its itself into you know as basically as a colonizing force and mm. and you know so, so and 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 obviously you know with with the um the west bank and gaza and and you know the the huge amounts of control that the the israeli government um holds in mm. in allowing electricity water aid food yeah. into um you know ter- parts of of you know what what used to be um, Palestine that they that they they control so and, and, you know as well as, as obviously the, um, the 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 recent um, murder of, of journalists in the, the occupied territory yeah. so I, you know I can I can understand that, that that there's this case of well you know if you're a, a celebrity you know do you engage with 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 you know uh, uh, you know that that sort of occupation or do you do you say well you know there's there's opposing voices in israel you know there's there's opposition political parties who who you know do want things to change mm. um just as there was an apartheid era south africa and ultimately there's going to be people um in, in israel just there's going to be people in south africa who, who do oppose you know that that regime mm. um so yeah I, I mean i don't know i mean i mean when i was young it was it was very much you know that that you didn't go to South Africa. It was wrong to go to South Africa. Um, my aunt went, you know, my aunt actually went to South Africa on holiday, mm. and and I remember as a, a young boy being 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 horrified to hear that she had gone on on holiday to South Africa. Mm. Um, but like like I say, you know, it's, it's 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 a fine line, isn't it? I mean, I mean, you know, what what. And I'm glad that we have that discussion in the documentary, you know, mm, about yeah, about yeah. a cultural about a cultural boycott, you know, because um, like I said, it is, it is still relevant. Obviously, it's still relevant to the question of uh, of of celebrities who, you know, choose to go or choose not to go to to Israel at mm. the the present moment, you know. Yeah, I can think because um, just fairly recently, wasn't it, um, Natalie Portman? Uh, rejected sort of the idea of going yes. To I, again, I think I think that was that was based on the. Uh, the um, assault on um, the the journalists in occupied territories. Yeah, um, yeah. If, if I if I recall, I'm not 100 percent sure that 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 was that was her reasoning. I mean, the thing is, I mean, I'm, I suppose nowadays people could turn around and say, well, there's there's a lot of repressive countries that you can you know that you can that you might want to boycott if that is the case. And and uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 a fair point. Like, I mean, I, you know, I just spent three years in China, so I don't I don't think I have a moral high ground to <laughs> to say, well, I I wouldn't visit or live in places where mm. governments are are you know in, in in some cases you know repressing freedom of expression or or you know expanding mm. um their 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 land or whatever you know i mean I, I would still visit russia so i mean i suppose i suppose in my own conscience like i would i mean i would actually quite like to visit the holy land so mm. you know i i wouldn't necessarily have a problem as a tourist going to tel aviv any more than you know, I I really want to visit Iran. I I I'm, would love to see some of the you know the the great per, uh, Persian monuments and mm. uh, um, you know some of the historical artifacts in, in that country. And I would love yeah. to I'd love to go. You know, but you know some people might say, well, you know, in Iran, you know, you can't you can't be you know there there's no LBGT rights. You know, and mm. and and women are are you know 
kind of uh, don't don't have the, the freedoms that, that they that they have in in Europe or America or whatever. So, so I mean, I, but but you know, at the end of the day, I don't I, that I don't judge a country by its government. So mm. I like I say, I mean, I wouldn't I I personally wouldn't necessarily have a, a problem with visiting, you know, any country in the world. Mm. Uh, but I suppose you know, looking back, South Africa is is a case where where I probably would have supported a cultural boycott because. Mm. I just think just because of the nature of apartheid, just because of the nature of, of you know, building a, a, a country on, on, on that sort of slave labour um, yeah. based on race, I just, I just find very uncomfortable, which... And I don't think there's a country, in, in, you know, that currently you can compare that to. And I, I know that some... I know that there's... That, like I say, there, that, that there is this idea that, that you know, Israel is, is an apartheid state but it's, it's, it's you know the thing is tel aviv is not a city built on slave arab labor you know it's mm. it's, it's completely it's i mean that aspect is so very different from the fact that you know south africa was built on you know what was really a ready supply of of of, of cheap labor and it mm. was yeah. ethnic you know yeah, of um so yeah yeah yeah. So, like I said, th- I think it's a documentary that's that's a lot more political than anything I've done. Certainly more academic than anything I've done before. Mm, and yeah. and you know, I'm proud of it. I never want to see it again, but I never watch my stuff anyway. <laughs> once once I've made my my you know my documentaries and watched them, I just never want to see them again. So yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, well, um, like I like I said, I hopefully the, the same thing happens just with other people, or when they see it, they're sort of making notes about sort of particular um, films to watch. <laughs> I mean, especially with the um, what you were saying about um, traveling. I mean, I'd, I'd love to travel to every country in the world, and it is quite difficult. I think. I mean, especially just, this is just me speaking for me. But uh, when you say you, it's hard to separate, um, uh, well, it, you you don't uh, judge a country based on its people. Only uh, you, well, you try not to judge the people for the government. That sort of thing. Yeah. I think sometimes it is hard to separate that. I mean. For example, you know, I'm I'm a gay man, so whenever I sort of plan a holiday, I'm just sort of like, okay, so what are the places that really I shouldn't go to because uh, you know I could I could be persecuted or that sort of thing. So I think sometimes yeah. for certain people, it is it's one of those legal I, issues. I mean, I think I think so. I mean, I mean, the the thing is, the thing is, so that I mean, I mean, for instance, so so you know, I was I was in Dubai recently, mm. um, and. Um, you know, I, I I leaped in a a, a taxi to uh, one one morning, and because you know Dubai is a very hard city to get. I wish somebody had told me where I went, but it's, it's basically an impossible city to get around unless you use taxis. Mm. So you spend a fortune on taxis. <laughs> um, but you know, the guy the guy said to me, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, where are you from? Every, everybody was very friendly in Dubai. I have to say, and, you know, he's asked me where I was from, and uh, you know, if I if I was if I, you know just just basic questions, are you here by yourself? And I went, oh yeah yeah yeah. I said I said I'm not married anyway. I said so you know. I said mm. I, I made a joke about it, and I said, so you know, might might get in trouble if uh, if uh, you know I had a, a girl here with a wedding ring on, right? And he laughed, and he went, no, no, no. He said, he said, you know, these these laws, nobody obeys them. He said, here you can have a you can have a girlfriend, you can even bring your boyfriend if you want, you know. And he laughed. Wow. So I think you know, I think that um, yeah, I get I get what you're saying, but mm. I think that I think that you know, as as a gay man, I I would still say. That you would only be hurting yourself mm. if, for instance, you chose never to see Victoria Falls because Zimbabwe has anti-gay laws, mm. um, or you you chose never to see the Sahara Desert because you know some of the the, the Muslim countries have mm. have anti-gay laws. I mean, you know, people are very rarely 
arrested, especially foreigners, mm. very rarely, if ever, arrested for these, you know, for breach of these laws. Um, okay. I mean, I mean, people were talking about the the World Cup in Qatar, mm. and you know, the 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 very last person that was um, arrested for homosexual activity in in Qatar, uh, you know, was 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 a very long time ago, and the person was. Um, was not imprisoned. They were they were asked to uh, you know to, to leave the country basically. Mm. Um, so I think I think that um, I I I mean I mean I do obviously I I, I do I'm very pro um, gay equality and pro mm. gay marriage and and LBGT rights and I'm you know I'm, I I would I would defend these to my dying breath. Mm. Um, I just I. I just think that there's so many countries where these unfortunate laws exist, which n- nonetheless are fascinating and beautiful and incredible um, mm. countries. Um, I remember I was going to Borneo last year, and I said to my friend Justin Kerswell, um, mm. uh, I, I said, you know, I said, I said, I really love um, visiting Malaysia. I said, I said, you know, it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world um, that, that I've ever been to. I said, but, but you know, I always feel a tinge of guilt, but you know, going there because I'm, you know, I'm. I, because of the LBGT laws, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Justin, you know, replied to me and said, "I oh, mean, my husband, we, we, we you know, we, we're, we totally intend to go to Borneo one day, <laughs> you know." Um, and and I think I think that, I mean, I made it, 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 not that that's you know not that I'm, you know, that I'm saying, yeah, every gay person should line up and go to no, go to no, Malaysia, I, you know. I, 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 get what, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But in another way, I sort I sort of think. You know, actually, if every single gay person did go to Malaysia, that would mean that there'd be a lot more interaction between the locals and gay tourists. Mm. And that's how ultimately things change, I yeah. think, in the long run. You know, um, Do you know, I, I, I never really thought about it that way, if I'm honest, Callum. That's, it's opened me. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you, you know, I mean, I've I've when I was in China, I had Malaysian students and they were very pro LBGT. And mm. of course, you know. There's going to be, and it's, it's worth. I mean, it's even worth looking at the wider picture, which is that, mm. you know, Malaysia's opposition party was led by a gay man, um, and he was eventually put in prison. Mm. But, um, you know, the fact of the matter is that he was he was a leader of an opposition party that a lot of people in Malaysia voted for. Hence, the main opposition party. You know, yeah, so yeah. of course, there's, uh, his name's Anwar Ibrahim, um, and unfortunately, he is in prison, and and it's it's a horrible thing. Mm. Um, the fact that a lot of people voted for him um, in Malaysia, uh, a Muslim country, mm. obviously indicates that change is going to happen. It's just a case of when, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that LBGT rights will eventually be respected in every country in the world, as it should be. Mm. Um, I just think it's going to take time, you know. Well, um, actually, well, actually we've, we've kind of come full circle, really, haven't we? Because the, the, it still remains a fact that there's a lot of anti-gay laws that are in this country, well, in the world, I should say, um, yeah. that are actually as a result of our colonial misbehaviours. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, that, that's exactly why the, the the laws um, are still there in the the penal code in Malaysia. Exactly, you know? exactly. Um, it's, 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 in, it's us again not cleaning up our mess. <laughs> yeah, in Kenya, uh, in Nigeria, um, it's it's still the old the old uh, colonial laws. Same thing with Jamaica and the Caribbean. Um, mm. There was there was a big victory recently in Trinidad and Tobago, though. There was, yes. and uh, it's been it's. Uh, I know that LBGT rights are now being challenged in Kenya. Um, so well, in fact, so I think in, in most of the Commonwealth countries, they've at least been called out, should we say, by you know some of the recent 
things that have been said. So yeah, it's it, it's it's nice just to see that there is an air of change at least beginning to to blow really through the air. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I definitely. I mean, I mean, I, I once um, was of of your your persuasion um, that you know I, I wouldn't visit countries with anti-gay laws. Mm. Um, I, I I I was very firm in that um, when I was uh, when I was younger mm. um but the more i've traveled and the more i've engaged with the world um I, I i feel that that you know being a liberal-minded traveler and being able to interact with local people and speak to local people is is ultimately what you know what i think will bring about change you know um mm. you know i had a when i was in when i was in china i had a, a student from saudi arabia mm. um and we all know what the lbgt <laughs> rights are like in oh. in saudi arabia yes. and you know one of the most open-minded um, students that I that I taught, and she was very pro LBGT, um, and uh, you know a big horror movie fan. I, oh, I wow. should add, you know, and and this was the, you know this was a, a Muslim girl from from Saudi Arabia who I had I had the utmost respect from, um, and uh, you know at the at the end of the course, uh, she came to my office and um, said to me that you know she thanked me um, and said to me that that you know her time in China had been difficult because you know she was a Muslim in a country where mm. um, you know religion is is still very you know heavily policed by the state yeah. uh, and and therefore the people tend to um, not be taught about different religions in in schools yeah. um, and you know religion is is as a holdover from the the Mao period seen as a you know a, a a negative thing, yeah, largely, yeah. I would say. Um, and and she said that one of the teachers, actually an American lady who had who had recently left the university, she said had been had been very, um, you know, judgmental about her and and had said some really unpleasant things about her in class. And mm. and she didn't she you know the teacher had now left, but you know she said that she didn't know me at the time, and if she had, she would have come to me and you know felt confident in raising this with me and and you know asking me if perhaps I could I could do something about it because mm. she felt she'd been humiliated and and kind of picked on a little bit for her religion yeah um and you know I I said to her I said I said look I said I said you know that's obviously completely unacceptable I said and and you know I said just because you're from Saudi Arabia I said it really surprised me that an academic you know can't separate your government from from you you know yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, it's, it's completely ridiculous to assume that this young girl would hold the views of her government just because she's a Muslim from Saudi Arabia, you know. Mm. So I think, I think that's it, you know. I th so, so as I, as I've gotten older and more travelled, I sort of, I, I you know, I, I would visit anywhere, um, and and I would, I wouldn't, you know, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't judge a country by the people who are in charge. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's really really sound advice, really, and it. I, to be honest, I've never really thought about it from that angle, Callum. So, if, if anything, you've, you've um, given me a new viewpoint to, to play with, really. So, thanks very much for that. <laughs> well, it's been a it's been a pleasure. But yeah, so, so anyway, going back to the documentary yes, because yes, I better yes. I better wrap this up. But going yeah. back to the documentary, yeah, I just I just hope people, some people listening to this will be interested in watching it and and you know. I'm, sh I'm absolutely, absolutely positive that they will. I mean, like I said, I, I watched it and my my eyes were just lit up at the sort of the different titles going through there and, and just all sorts. It just excited me about something. It was it was a little bit like um, a, a treasure chest, really, that I'd never seen. You know, like um, a whole host of films that I just wasn't aware of beforehand, and now I am. And 
to be honest, now I, I just can't wait to go and seek some of them out just to watch some of them because some of them do look just frankly quite amazing. I mean, especially the J the Joe Bullet one. That was one of the first ones that popped up in the documentary, and it instantly just just clicked with the sort of the style and the the, the sort of subject matter, the you know the gun shooting, just everything everything appealed to me. Cool. Well, that's what I want to hear, and and hopefully I'll. Hopefully there'll be two or three people in the audience uh, on on Friday, and hopefully there'll be two or three more people interested <laughs> in the DVD when it comes out. I'm absolutely positive there will be some interest, Callum. Definitely. It was, cool. It was um it was a real joy to watch. It's um so it's um May the fourth, isn't it? That's this Friday. May the fourth at five forty-five p.m. in in Derby. So uh, hopefully yeah. we'll yeah. Hopefully we'll have this podcast up before then. Oh so, uh, well, I'll I'll probably be able to finish this for t uh, tomorrow. It shouldn't be too long. Cool. It's just just a bit of talking. So uh, yeah, okay then. Well, All right. Thank you very much for talking with me again, Cal. No worries, really mate. Nice to hear from you. Always good to and hear from you as well. Thanks very much, and uh, good luck with it all. And uh, I'll catch up with you after it's all over. You betcha. All, all right. right. Thanks very much. Speak to you later then. Speak bye bye. To you later. Bye bye. So there you have it folks, Images of Apartheid will have a showing and a Q&A session with Callum on Friday May the 4th at the Derby Film Festival. The showing's at 5.45pm and if you're like me, you will see a bunch of movies in the documentary that you'll immediately want to go out and locate. One of these is Joe Bullitt, released not so long ago by 88 Films, and it really is one of those essentials in terms of the quality and the fun that can come from exploitation films. Anyone passing by, or anyone who's attending the festival, do give this documentary a try. I promise it'll be well worth it. So that's it from us on the Nasty Pasty podcast for now, but tune in on Friday for our body horror episode on both Videodrome and Street Trash. But for now, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>